0: theory and uh, let me open us up in prayer before we get before we start for your grace to us and we ask that you would be gracious to us tonight in helping us to understand what this is and to think about it christianly in jesus name amen why do i want to talk about critical race theory it's one of the most hot buttonish topics in uh, our culture today two reasons one practically because of the increasing volatility and confusion surrounding it that's swirling even in our own community, just if you think about the recent school board elections. It, what, where do you stand on critical race theory? And then off to the races goes the conversation on Facebook. Okay, And because of the increasing influence that CRT is having in our culture, so media, work, school, government. It's just becoming quite a, a, a dominant influence and something we're all hearing a lot about. But then theologically... I want to talk about it because as Christians we must labor to bring all things underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ. This world belongs to him and we need to think about all things underneath the lens of scripture. So think about Paul what he said in 2 Corinthians 10:5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10:5. Or this uh, Ephesians 4:14. 4, the part of the role of the church is so that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That's Ephesians four fourteen. So it really that, that particular passage is speaking of the need of robust doctrine to help us think carefully and be rooted and solid and not tossed to and fro. Colossians two eight. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of this world and not according to Christ. So that's why I want to talk about these things. What's my goal? It's modest, but it's still pretty big. Somebody already looked at this and said, you're going to cover all this in an hour and a half. So giddy up. Here we go. Uh, My goal is modest. Um, It's to help you understand the basics of CRT. And then it's just to help you think about CRT Christianly. So To that end, I want to start with the basics of CRT and ask, what is it? And I'm going to give definitions here. And these definitions are going to feel like they're kind of out of thin air. And you may be grasping a bit for context or saying, how did these fit or what should I think about them? Uh, I'm going to do my best right off the bat to really just state them. uh, According to what critical race theory believes. So almost all of this is going to be coming out of... uh, uh, critical Race Theory and Introduction by Richard Delgado and John Stefanik. Uh, this is the, uh, essentially the introductory textbook that's given to most students, uh, in, uh, secular universities all throughout the nation. So whenever this is gonna be taught, this is what's gonna be used. So I'm really trying to take things from the horse's mouth, uh, in regards to what I'm saying. So I've had to, I've worked through these things. Uh, additionally, I've read, uh, uh, I've purged it from my mind, so forgive me. D'Angelo's white privilege, uh, so that's coming from this as well. Um, so I'm going to be I'm going to be telling you some definitions, which are going to make more sense as we go. So just allow them to stand for what they are, okay? And they'll make more sense as we go. So first of all, what is critical race theory? Critical race theory is a progressive legal movement that seeks to transform the relationship among race, racism, and power. CRT questions the very foundation of liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. Now, that is directly from these books. And I actually give... I, I reference the page number um, on these things so you can see that I'm getting them right from there. I will say that's a... Um, that is a, a modestly phrased statement, but a massive statement in and of itself if th- those are those are massive claims that are being made. Brad, would you mind closing that door um, there 's just an unhappy baby back there. Um, so that is a, a, a very significant claim that 's being made there uh, when it says that CRT questions the very foundation of Liberal order—that's really saying we question the validity of Western civilization. So Western civilization is is founded upon a liberal order. Uh, So it's a very significant claim that they're making, or very significant questions that they're asking. And CRT is attempting to offer justice and inclusion to groups that are disenfranchised and subordinate. So that's, um, that's that's that for you. Let me give you a glossary of terms. Uh, you may have heard some of these things. Uh, hegemony. Who's heard, who's heard of the word hegemony? Okay, so hegemony, what that is, is that is domination by the ruling class and unconscious acceptance of that state of affairs by the subordinate group. Okay, that's hegemony. Uh, identity politics. This is from D'Angelo. She says, the focus on barriers specific groups face in their struggle for equality. That's identity politics. Interest convergence. This is a thesis pioneered by Derek Bill, Bell, excuse me, that the majority group tolerates advances for racial justice only when it suits its interests to do so. Uh, in fact, he, he, he purported and did some work, and he says that essentially Brown v. Board of Education really happened. The reason why that really happened was not because the neutral principles of law were finally coming to bear, um, But instead, it was because we just came out of World War II, we're facing the Cold War, and we can't really afford bad press uh, in the world with overt racism. And so what we need to do is we need to make sure we we get this taken care of. And so essentially it was in white people's interest, which is why Board v. Education ended up going the way it went. That's interest convergence by Derrick Bell. He purports that... Uh, group uh, that the majority group tolerates advances for racial justice only when it suits their interests to do so. Okay. Uh, intersectionality. Surely you guys have heard that term at this point. Who's heard of intersectionality? Okay. Intersectionality is the examination of race, sex, class, national origin, and sexual orientation, and how their combination plays out in various settings. These categories, and still others, can be separate, disadvantaging factors. What happens uh, when an individual occupies more than one of these categories, for example, gay and Native American, or both female and black? Individuals like these operate at the intersection of recognized sites of oppression. So what you're going to notice is that, I'm sure you've heard the terms uh, oppressor, oppressed, you've heard those terms probably, right? So this is coming from critical race theory, flows out of it. Intersectionality recognizes that there are categories of oppression and that it's not as simple as, say, white or black. Um, A black man would experience, yay, so much level of oppression. A black female would experience more. A gay black female would experience, yay, more. A transgender black female would experience, yay, more. So there are intersections of oppression is what intersectionality is getting at, okay? Merit, uh, that's conventional worthiness. So you think about the term meritocracy. Who's who's heard of the term meritocracy? So Tony Romo, when he was uh, being replaced by Dak Prescott, who I'm not the biggest Dak fan, if we were to just get into that, but when he was being replaced, he had a very, very good uh, brief message that he gave, and he said, football is a meritocracy, And this man has earned his spot, and he stepped down. What he was getting at is that the idea of you earn something by what you do, okay? Merit. Conventional worthiness, a concept that critical race scholars call into question because they hold that it is unfair to rank people according to mechanical scales and distribute valuable social benefits on that basis. Privilege, that is right or advantage, often unwritten, conferred upon some people but not others, usually without examination or good reason. Racism, uh, and this is a very important one, racism is defined as privilege plus power. That's how D'Angelo in white privilege defines it. Racism is privilege plus plus power. So prejudice is prejudgment about another person based upon the social groups to which that person belongs. Power is when a racial group's collective prejudice is backed by the power of legal authority and institutional control. It is transformed into racism, a far-reaching system that functions independently of the intentions or self-images of individual actors. So you can see racism is being constructed in a, in a very different way than you might think about racism, and we'll talk more about how I think the Bible would have us to think about racism, okay? But how, how racism is being defined here is privilege plus power. So she says that racism is a system. Uh, that's on page 21. She says that racism is a structure, not an event. Brad, did you have a question? No, it is privilege plus power. Um, she just goes into it further, and she talks about uh, prejudice. So, in other words, if you if you have privilege as defined above, and then are part of the uh, the class that has socioeconomic political power, then you would fall underneath the category of racist. Okay, um, white privilege refers to the myriad of social advantages, benefits, and courtesies that comes with being members of the dominant race white pre- white supremacy race scholars use the term white supremacy to describe a socio-political economic system of domination based on racial categories that benefits those defined and perceived as white this system of structural power privileges, centralizes and elevates white people as a group. okay, And then woke. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of that at this point, but woke is to be aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. Interestingly enough, uh, neither D'Angelo nor uh, Delgado and Stefanik define that, so I got it from Miriam Webster online. Which, by the way, if you're just going to do research online, uh, if you want it to be robust, stay away from Wikipedia and go to, uh, let's say, you know, Britannica or uh, for uh, a dictionary uh, or, or an encyclopedia. Go to um, Encyclopedia, uh, well, Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, go to that. Those would be good resources, Okay. Uh, questions on those definitions? Again, I'm going I'm to hold off on, on analyzing them in light of a biblical worldview. I'm first just trying to let critical race theory speak for itself and for you to understand how critical race theory understands these terms, How what critical race theory understands these terms to be. Martin? Well, my understanding is critical race theory is... Uh Derivative of critical theory—that is correct—and we'll get into that in a moment. Okay.
1: Critical theory,
0: critical legal theory, critical race theory. Started with critical theory, then uh, critical theory influenced critical legal theory. Critical legal theory influenced critical race theory. I will. Um, Eric?
2: The definition of white supremacy
3: is that—is that, that substantially different from like the way we would have normally? Have understood that term like as a white, a white supremacist group, like even since the 1960s and 70s, you hear about white supremacist groups and stuff like that, right? Often neo-Nazi kind of formulation, but... Um, is this is this an expansion of that? I'm trying to... D'Angelo understand. would say it is, yes. So she would say
0: you need to think of white supremacy not in terms of a person, uh, but in terms of a system. And if you're involved in that system and benefiting from that system and participating in that system that that's, white supremacy is more than individual actions, intents, or a group. Um, so, in fact, in her book, she argues, hey, most of you, when I say uh, white supremacy, you're going to think the KKK. Uh, and you're going to think those, and those are certainly examples of white supremacists. But she's like, you cannot stop there. You have to move much, much further. So she's expanding it. Nikki? per se, but I think the book of D'Angelo you're talking about is White Fragility, right? Oh, yes, I'm sorry, it is. Yes, White Fragility. Thank you. Yes? It sounds like, based on some of these definitions, you could be a part of one of these groups without even knowing or actively participating in any of... That is
3: correct.
4: ...incriminating activities, just based on what you look like. That is correct.
0: Thank you for that correction, Nikki. I'm sorry.
5: Yes. If the definition, according to D'Angelo, of, of racism is the intersection of privilege and power, is it possible that non-white groups in
0: her book are perceived as guilty of racism? She, she says, and she works through this in her book, uh, she says that it is not possible for a black person to be a racist. Um, she says that it's not possible because of her, because of her definition. This is where words matter, by the way. As Christians, this is where words matter. Because of her definition, she says White pe- black people may be prejudiced, but they cannot be racist because they do not have societal power. What about China or Japan? She really limits herself to the United States. Okay. All right. And what I'll, what I'll tell you is that she is really a popular expression of critical race theory. So there are some who would say, hey, that's... That's not pure critical race theory. Critical race theory is a legal theory. And that is true. That is true. It is a legal theory. We'll get into that in just a moment. But as with all things in the the academic realm, they flesh themselves out in the popular realm. And her ideas are rooted upon, based in, and grounded upon critical race theory, which that's very clear. So let's talk about the origin of CRT. So, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of immediate and then a little bit further back, which is going to get to your question, Martin. In the 70s, several activists, lawyers, legal scholars, and educators realized that the advances of the 60s civil rights movement had been stalled and in some cases being rolled back. So they noticed that there was a stall in civil rights, uh, in the progress of the civil rights movement after MLK. So they, there was a need that arose for new theories to combat more subtle forms of racism And early writers like Derek Bell, Alan Friedman, Richard Delgado sought to meet that need. It is built on the shoulders of critical legal studies and radical feminism. So critical race theory is built on the shoulders of critical legal studies and radical feminism. So we have to go a little bit further back to ask ourselves what is critical legal studies and what is is that? Well, it's rooted in critical theory itself. And so this is... Right out of Britannica.com. What is critical theory? Critical theory, Marxist-inspired movement in social and political philosophy, originally associated with the work of the Frankfurt School. Drawing particularly on the thought of Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud, critical theorists maintain that a primary goal of philosophy is to understand and to help overcome the social structures through which people are dominated and oppressed. Believing that science, like other forms of knowledge, has been used as an instrument of oppression, they caution against blind faith in scientific progress, arguing that scientific knowledge must not be pursued as an end in itself without reference to the goal of human emancipation. Since the 1970s, critical theory has been immensely influential in the study of history, law, literature, and the social science. You can go to the next number there. Critical theory... Morphed into critical legal theory in the later 20th century, which eventually gave rise to branches such as critical race theory and critical gender theory. So critical theory began really with the Frankfurt School in the 1930s, and these were Marxists who identified that Marx in his analysis of everything being an economic problem, he saw everything in terms of it being an economic problem. The problem was that the proletariat those who, oh, sorry, the bourgeoisie, those who have money, oppress the proletariat, and he advocated for revolution, for the proletariat to rise up and and overcome the, the bourgeoisie. Okay? I'm going to get my terms mixed up, so I apologize. Saying white privilege instead of white fragility. So, keep me honest. The guys in the Frankfurt School recognized that failed, um, but they liked how he saw things in terms of, oppressors oppressed. So essentially, they expanded the categories. They said, he had a good idea, but it needs to be expanded. It's not primarily and only an economic problem. It's a lot broader. It's a lot bigger. And so they expanded it into other realms. That's where you got critical legal theory and ultimately critical race theory. Does that make sense? So that's the history. That's where these things are coming from. Uh, What are the tenets of CRT? CRT. Uh, the first tenet of CRT is that racism is ordinary. And when I say ordinary, I mean it's like normal science. It's the business of the day. It's actually just the state of affairs in our country. Okay, uh, It is the way society does business. It is the common, everyday experience of most people of color in the country. So critical race theorists would say racism um, racism is expansive. It's, it's, it's all the time. It's everywhere. It's really happening All in very, very... Expansive ways. Uh, Another tenet of CRT is white over color ascendancy serves important purposes for whites or the majority group. So both materially and psychically for the dominant group, because racism advances the interests of both white elites and white working class, large segments of society have little incentive to eradicate. Think slavery, think not allowing blacks to vote. And this is where interest convergence comes into play. Interest convergence, I told you earlier, was where Derek Bell put forth this theory that essentially progress is only made for minorities when whites perceive that it is in their interest to do so. Okay? This is where interest convergence comes into play. Uh, Race is a social construction... Uh, So the social construction thesis holds that race and races are not objective, inherent, or fixed. They correspond to no biological or genetic reality. uh, Rather, races are categories that society advents, manipulates, or retires when convenient. Another tenet of CRT is something called structural determinism. Our current system by reason of its structure. And when we say our current system, we just mean kind of like the system that exists in the West, the liberal order, foundation of jurisprudence, the idea of meritocracy, things like that, okay? Uh, the, the, uh, the principles of law, which are to be applied uh, uh, in, in a fair way. They say our current system, by reason of its structure and vocabulary, is unable to redress certain types of wrongs. <clears throat> which leads to another tenet of CRT, which is storytelling of experience to reframe the law's meta-narrative. Okay? So you've heard of, who's heard of the term lived experience? Okay. So it's a tenet of CRT, and, and they're really trying to, to reframe the meta-narrative of the law, uh, not according to really propositional truth statements, but lived experience. Okay? Uh, storytelling. Uh, also, in, in this is revisionist history, uh, and so and again, all of this is i 'm trying to just speak from the horse 's mouth, trying to just help you to understand what they say about themselves my My goal tonight in this is that if someone who were a trained critical race theorist were to come in, uh, he or she would probably vociferously disagree with my conclusions that i 'm going to come to in a minute, but I, hopefully they would say, yes, you were honest and understood what I communicated up front okay um, so Uh, Revisionist history. Revisionist history re-examines America's historical record, replacing comfortable majoritarian interpretation of events with ones that square more accurately with minorities' experiences. Another tenet is that disparities and inequities are evidence of and caused by racism. So there's a real one-to-one equation there, okay? So if there are disparities, um, you know then those are necessarily evidence of racism. That's a tenet of critical race theory. Critical race theory also believes meritocracy is a societal danger. Uh, it believes that meritocracy is really a lie that we prop up to really keep ourselves in a in a dominant position. Uh, and that it's actually not true that you can uh, work hard and be successful if, if you will. That, that we actually hold all the cards and it's it's kind of a lie that we put forth. Uh, So, meritocracy is a societal danger. And uh, another tenet of CRT is that it has an anti-individualism ideology. So, you are defined in critical race theory by class, by race, by various recognized markers. Male or female, Christian or secular, straight or gay, etc. So, how you're understood to be, kind of what defines you... uh, Not so much just you as an individual, but you as a member of a particular class, okay? And you can see how this hopefully fits into the overall framework. So what are some goals? What are some goals of CRT? Well, it's to define, and I I put in bold here to redefine or broaden terms like racism, white supremacy, privilege, identity, oppression, victimhood, uh, they want to define those terms, uh, and, and I, I believe redefine those terms. Actually, that, that, that wouldn't just be me saying that. Um, they would say that. They want to redefine those things. Uh, CRT does not have the modest goals of Martin Luther King uh, Jr. So Martin Luther King Jr. was, was going for unity, equality, brotherhood. Uh, but they want the transformation of society at all levels. Education of government, uh, education, government arts, business, religion, family, sports, entertainment, about know, the transformation of those things by becoming woke, conscious of racism, sexism, classism, heterosexism, and int- in- incre- sorry, <laughs> incremental transformation is not sufficient. Radical measures are necessary. Okay, so so they're not they're not keen on incremental progress in regards to racism. Uh, critical race theory believes that radical measures are. Necessary. Okay. Uh, they want to develop a comprehensive theory of class. Uh, how is that? You say if they if they define everybody by class. Well, because they recognize that that's not super clean, especially when it comes to intersectionality. Uh, it, it's hard to just put everybody into a class and say this is how much you're oppressed or, or or this is where you stand. So they want to develop a comprehensive theory of class, and they want to work on that. Uh, they want to regulate. Hate crime and speech. Uh, So, uh, Ibram X. Kendi, in fact, has put forth a proposal for there to be a a federal hate crime group, uh, which is going to be unaccountable to other branches and stand over and enforce uh, enforce any hate crime or, or, or racial matter. Which, of course, in one sense, we'd say, I mean, please hear me. As Christians, we want racism to decrease. Please hear me. But, but who defines racism? And who defines, you know, what racial sin actually looks like? Those those things matter, okay? Uh, They want to abolish the merit standard. Uh, They want new immigration policies that don't require assimilation. Uh, They want to spin off beyond an academic discipline into other realms. So today, many scholars in the field of education consider themselves critical race theorists who use critical race theory... Critical race theory's ideas to understand issues of school discipline and hierarchy, tracking, affirmative actions, high-stakes testing, controversies over curriculum and history, bilingual and multicultural education, and alternative schools. And then critical race theory wants to become the new civil right orthodoxy. This is, a, again, a, 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 a gently put statement, but a massive statement right here. Uh, this is right out of Delgado and Stefanik might CRT one day diffuse into the atmosphere like air so that we are hardly aware of it anymore? So that's, that's worldview talk, brothers and sisters. That's worldview talk. It, they want this to be the lens through which we understand ourselves, we understand other people, we understand our experiences, we understand their experiences, we understand the world, we understand how we should act. They want this to be the lens through which we're interpreting reality. Uh, What are the non-academic expressions of CRT? Uh, So I've been going through, for the most part, the academic expressions of it with some D'Angelo thrown in there. Uh, But the non-academic expressions, Robin D'Angelo's white fragility and Ibram Kendi's how to be an anti-racist represent non-technical popular expressions of CRT. Jamar Tisby's writings represent thinking uh, highly influenced by CRT. He's in the Christian world. And I'm going to pause there and just give a, a spot for questions. I know it's, I know, I know it's fire hoses. Questions.
5: Yes. I hate to be the one. Um, going back to uh, the abolition of assimilation mm-hmm. for immigration policies. Mm-hmm. Would getting rid of the concept of the melting pot just further exacerbate racism in the country? Strangely, there's, there
0: is a... This is a debate within critical race theory. Um, so, yes, I think that what you're saying makes sense. But it, there is a debate within critical race theory of how much should you be absolutely segregated from the majority culture as a minority culture. So there, there are... There's a a real debate raging saying, no, we should be absolutely separate, have our own businesses, our own friendships, our own relationships. We should not integrate. And then there are others that say, no, it it would be good to integrate. Um, This fleshes itself out even – I was speaking – Johnny, if it's okay if I use your example. But in the Burlington PD when they were having equity and inclusion training, so they had all of the the black brothers and sisters uh, who were cops in their own group and all of the white brothers in their own group and and it was intentionally separated uh, instead of together. Um, So, yes. Steve? So critical
4: race theory beget critical legal theory beget, uh, I'm I'm sorry, critical theory beget critical legal theory beget uh, critical race theory. Correct. You touched briefly on critical legal theory but I'm still fuzzy on it. What is critical legal theory?
0: What was the middle link? I would not be able to give you a robust definition of it. Uh, Brad? When
2: it says uh, uh, incremental transformation not sufficient radical measures necessary, can you give a, just a couple
0: examples of some of those radical measures that are being proposed? To... Uh, that are being proposed. These writers would propose. They they don't have any specific... So in this in this work, there's not... Specific proposals that are made. However, I will say uh, at the end of the book, they say, okay, well, where does this go? The future. Uh, Well, um, critical race theory could become the main agenda and it could be accepted. It could become the new civil rights orthodoxy. That's the hope. Uh, It could be marginalized or ignored. Uh, it could be analyzed, but rejected. It could be partially incorporated and in one uh, I mean this is this is just what they 're saying, but they 're saying now hopefully there 's just a, a peaceful progress towards critical race theory being being integrated if so wonderful but but if not, critical theorists and activists will need to provide criminal defense for resistance movements and activists and to articulate theories and strategies for that resistance so um, Critical race theory doesn't have a problem with advocating for things that we would be very uncomfortable with, even up to and including violence. Um, so, uh, and in fact, in, in this book, The Coddling of the American Mind, written by Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt, uh, two non-Christians who are quite, uh, quite accomplished academically and professors, they track, essentially, why is there so much increasing violence on campus? Why is there so much like vitriol and hatred and, and, and actual violence, and they reference the Middlebury situation that happened a couple of years ago here in Vermont, and they trace, they trace some of it to uh, to the weaponized us versus them, which they themselves as secularists say some of this has to honestly be traced back to intersectionality and critical race theory um, now they 're real ginger towards that. Um, but but they but they state it quite plainly. Does that help you, Corey?
3: Um, does she touch on? Uh, you've sort of already touched on with her broad scope of redefining Western civilization. But does she talk about or define anything as it relates to like American Constitution, especially as it relates to regulating regulation of hate crime and speech? No, not really. Not to so my knowledge.
0: Any other questions so far? Nikki? Uh, referencing what Corey was just asking, I didn't really understand the, the regulating hate, crime, and speech concern. But you just touched on it briefly. Okay. Obviously, we wouldn't want to encourage it. What was the concern? Concern was who gets to define what racism is. Does D'Angelo get to define what racism is? Um, uh, who, 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 could, who determines the dictionary? Because who determines the dictionary determines what's going to be okay and what's not going to be Okay. And who determines the dictionary may mean that many a well meaning Christian find themselves on on the wrong side of the dictionary in in a new world, and the concern is that that organization that he 's lobbying for would be unaccountable to any other any other institution they 're God Josh would it be
2: fair to say that the, um, the idea of uh just thinking about how the civil rights movement started, the um, it would it be fair to say that like MLK was actually advocating for a meritocracy, that he was advocating that people be represented by their the values and the skills they bring to the table and not their race? Would it...
0: he, he did say himself, he said, I envision a day where our sons and daughters will not be judged based upon the color of the skin, but upon their... Uh, the content of their character. I think that's very rich. I, I do think this, and, and they actually say, listen, we're grateful for Emil K, but we just, we take a different approach. So they're, they're recognizing that they're taking a different approach. Okay, let's just keep going for time's sake. Um, okay, uh, the outworkings of CRT and the culture. I, boy, there's, there's a lot. I'm just going to mention just a few. So, uh, first of all, there's, there's equity and diversity training rooted unapologetically in critical race theory in the Burlington PD and Fire Department. Uh, Johnny could uh, t- attest to that. Uh, as well, I have a, a friend who's a member of Georgia Plain Baptist, and he was just he was just befuddled. And I- in the training, uh, the, the trainer, who was black, said to him, you are racist. And he said, why am I racist? He said, because you're white. And then, you know, the guy said... And, and you can't be racist. And he said, no, I can't be racist. And why can't you be racist? Because I'm black. Now, the, the reason why that works is because of D'Angelo's framing of racism. That racism is is power plus uh, privilege. So, since he is a black man, and therefore in the minority culture, and therefore the black minority culture does not have the, the political power or sway, he, he cannot be defined as a racist, so this is how this makes sense, and this is how it's flowing into just the world at large, okay? Um, recently, our own Abby Kolar uh, was in advisory in Essex High School, which everybody has to go to advisory on Mondays, and, uh, and in, this, in this advisory session, uh, there are slides that are presented, and lo and behold, it's, it's the, it's the inter- intersectionality oppression matrix, and everybody was to, was to ask and and to discover where are you on this oppression matrix, and you'd be proud of Abby. She was feisty as always, uh, and and took some umbrage with how they were classifying her as oppressed. Um, there's just increasing prevalence of troubling axioms in my mind. So who's heard silence is violence um, uh, in in the bathroom at at, at BFA uh, on on the back of the stall. Um, was written, If you choose to remain neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. Uh, and by the way, in all of these things, again, definition matters. Because do do we actually care about injustice as Christians? Please nod your head yes. We very much do. But, but what is an injustice? How is injustice defined? Uh, how is it defined? And, and then to what degree and what responsibilities do we have to address these things? Uh, another outworking of CRT in the culture is that there's just generally a presumption of guilt upon white people uh, that you are, you are a racist. And again, that flows from, from the definitional understanding of these things. Uh, but that's very troubling for there to just be a presumption of guilt. That's not a good thing. Jeff?
2: I think they would say, that's
0: great, exceptions are not the norm. I think that's what they would say. I'm not exactly sure what they would say. Uh, And then, um, also, and and I actually just mentioned this a little bit ago because it fit, but uh, in Coddling of the American Mind, uh, these two authors attribute the increasing hostility on college campuses to an us-versus-them mentality undergirded by CRT. And I do want to note the us versus them mentality that they write of is inclusive of but much broader than simply racial hostility. It's, it's, it's much, much greater. If you just notice, we're living in much, much more of an us versus them world, uh, right? And so and they actually attribute some of that to intersectionality there. So I want to think biblically about these issues, Okay. So, we're going to run through this and then there's going to be opportunity for questions. How's everybody doing? You need to stretch? You need to stretch do a little jumping jacks or anything like that? Okay. So, let's think about these biblically. Although it doesn't claim to be a worldview, CRT is a worldview. This is important, Christian. Okay? CRT is a worldview. Anytime you're trafficking in territory of questions like what's man's biggest problem, what's the solution to our problem? You are trafficking in worldview categories. This is a lens through which we are being told to view the world. We should reject this lens and let the Bible speak to these issues. Thus, although not exhaustive, here's a start. Okay? Okay, so this is really just stream of consciousness, your pastor's stream of consciousness as I think about things. Okay? And when I say we, I just mean... Christians in general. I think these are Christian principles that we should be able to agree on. We affirm that God is just, cares about justice, carries out justice, and cares about justice for the weak, helpless, and marginalized. Jeremiah 22, 3, "...thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in his place." Jeremiah 7, 5-7, For if you truly amend your ways and deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So justice is social. Social justice, according to Scripture, is seeking justice for all members of society. Treating all people as image bearers of God, contending against the injustices of abortion, human sex trafficking, slavery, racial discrimination, workplace discrimination, sexism, the abuse and mistreatment of children, widows, immigrants. It is unjust to take advantage of and mistreat people who are at a disadvantage. And fundamentally, brothers and sisters, all injustice is a violation of the first commandment. I think we should see that. So all injustice is a violation of the first commandment. And the greatest injustice and sin is sin against God because God is worthy of praise, justice, worship, glory, and honor. So that's that's first, okay? God God cares about justice. Uh, Next, we affirm that sin is a universal human problem regardless of one's group identity. We deny the CRT tenet that only certain members and groups are guilty of injustices like racism and sexism. Robin DiAngelo defines racism as prejudice plus power. Ah, I'm getting some of my things mixed up there. I apologize. She makes the case that only majority groups are racist because they hold power and privilege. Therefore, a minority group like blacks can't be racist because they don't hold the majority in society. Some may be prejudiced, but they aren't racist. To that, I think we should just think about good old Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or Romans 3.9. For we have already charged that both, that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. That doesn't mean that everybody's a racist, but it does mean that everybody is a sinner. Okay? We need to deny CRT's definition of racism. This is very important. We need to deny CRT's definition of racism. CRT denies, defines racism as prejudice plus power. A working biblical definition of racism is more along the lines of, I think, three things. Number one, ethnic pride. So thinking that your tribe or tongue is better than another tribe or tongue, okay? I think it's a biblical way to think about racism, ethnic pride. Another way, ethnic enmity. Who knows what in- enmity means? What's enmity? Hostility. hostility. Ethnic hostility. Hostility. Hostility or dislike for somebody because they're from another tribe or tongue. And then, of course, there's ethnic envy, wanting what another tribe or tongue has. I think that's how we need to define racism. I think we need to think about racism in biblical terms, not sociological terms. If we believe that the Bible is sufficient for the Christian life, which we do, then I think we need to think about racism in terms of biblical language. And I think this is a working definition of racism in biblical language. We also deny that a person 's moral standing before God and man is based on our membership in a class, so Crt classes us into categories and assigns guilt or innocence, oppressor or oppressed, status to us based on our membership in those classes is everybody is everybody understanding that thus far is, it, is that making sense to everybody so based upon what what, what our race sex sexual identity is, we are going to be put into classes and there's going to be there's going to be uh, a status put upon us as either, you know, more innocent, guilty, you know, oppressor, oppressed. Uh, that is not how the Bible classes us. Guilt is imputed to us by virtue of our connection to Adam. Identity is either in Adam or in Christ. And you can just look at Romans chapter 5. Guilt or sin is not imputed on the basis of one's social Ethnic or gender identity, for people to declare or impute guilt to people on other grounds is a fallacy. Sin and guilt is tied to the act of sin that one commits, not membership in a class as defined by CRT. And actually, I think what I'll do here is, as I, as I just, I'm going to stop at each one to give, to give questions an opportunity for, if, if you have a question that way, there could just be breathing room for you. Any question on the ones that we've covered so far?
1: Yes? As far as identity by membership in a class that you just mentioned, how does that relate to what we read about in the Bible where Jesus is talking to the woman from Samaria? And wasn't it true that societally the Samaritans were viewed as, because of the identity in that, in that class, they were viewed as not so good?
0: Societally, that is the case. But if you look at how God treated her, He treated her on the basis of who she was and her sin, or her sin, or her righteousness in His eyes, and He treated her as such. He said, "Hey, why don't you go call your husband?" And she said, "Well, I don't have one." And He said, "Well, yes, you've spoken rightly. You, you don't have one, and the one you're, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband." And then He extended the mercy of the gospel to her. So He He didn't recognize her. Uh, as I mean, how he treated her was how he treats all of us, actually, as either in Adam, which is to say, guilty, or in Christ.
1: So do you think that we as Christians can overcome and be Christ-like enough to, as a group, not fall into a societal situation where we look at another classification of people as lesser? Well, what I'm, what I'm getting
0: at is what, what I'm getting at is how CRT classes us as either righteous or unrighteous. I'm going to put biblical terms to it: righteous or unrighteous, based upon our class. I'm saying, as Christians, we should reject that fundamental. Uh, we that's not a playing field that the Bible puts us into. We should reject that. Um, we we can't see ourselves as guilty or innocent based upon whether we're white whether we're male whether we're female um, w- whether we're Latino we cannot see ourselves as either guilty uh, or, or not based upon that but, but based upon whether we're not we're in Adam or in Christ
1: and as Christians that's the very truth we should hold but I'm wondering if, as sinners as the old Adam in us that it's not part of our sinful DNA to be otherwise
0: Okay, where would you take that next?
1: I'm not disagreeing that it's wrong for CRT to go ahead and automatically label people. But just because their rendition is, is wrong doesn't mean that society throughout the ages
0: has been just as wrong. Oh, sure. I would, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think we as Christians should look back and recognize uh, racism, uh, massive sin, uh, call it what it is. Yeah, I I don't think we should whitewash whitewash history. Um, I don't think so, no.
5: Yes? I just say that biblically, Christ judged people sometimes by class. But, but not by their immutable characteristics. Not by male, female, race. Those are those are things, skin color, those are things that you're born with and you can't do anything about. There is no salvation from your immutable characteristics that you were born with. Correct. Correct.
2: Chris? Um, yeah, uh, I guess about a year ago or whatever... Um, with work, we we read that book, "How to Be an Anti-Racist." Okay, and although um, you know, fundamentally disagreed with the conclusions and things like that, and I think going to what the gentleman over there was saying, one thing I took away from it is looking at God search my heart and know me, help me to identify areas where. Do I look at someone who is different than I am and then come up to a bunch of conclusions that could be sinful? And that's putting them into a box, which is, you know, which is not, it's not honoring to them as an image bearer of of God. So I think just going there, it's kind of, um, again, what the gentleman was saying is just, yeah, check your heart and... And make sure that you are treating others as image bearers. Yes. And um, yeah, and I think sometimes I'm like, wow, yeah. I, I think I do just automatically, for whatever reason it is, automatically go places which which may not be correct. And that's I need good. to check my thinking. Yep.
0: That's good. That's good. So let me keep going. So we also deny, well, let's see, where am I at? Ah, we deny that people are absolved of guilt through self-righteous efforts that use social justice causes to justify their moral standing. So Proverbs fourteen twelve. there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Instead, we affirm that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to also say to you that CRT is a counterfeit salvation. So I'm putting it into, I'm putting it into spiritual lenses here and, and analyzing it through a Christian worldview. S- having classified us and imputed guilt based on class, CRT asserts that we must repent, repent of our privilege, i.e. become woke, believe, accept the world and ourselves as CRT defines, and then work out our salvation by becoming tireless advocates for injustice as defined by CRT. And and this is just a false salvation. Okay? So it, it's really putting forth a counterfeit salvation, which I think is one of the reasons why it's actually so appealing to so many. Because it, it gives them a cause to fight for. Does that make sense? Um, now, let me also say... Further, activism as defined by CRT is not a biblical expression of social justice. So how they've defined everything, right, activism on their behalf is, is not social justice according, is not advocating for social justice according to the Bible. Okay? Just pause on this one. Any questions or clarifications on that? Missy,
1: I just wanted to add to your statement. If CRT is a counterfeit salvation, then it's a doctrine of demons.
0: Well, you you could you could go there. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be as uh, trying to be as even handed as I can. There's there's a lot of things I might like to say. (laughs) I got you. Okay.
1: (laughs) Nikki. So, um, you know, I think I see what you're talking about the the classification.
0: You know becoming woke, and then accepting, uh, believing their definition of the world view, and then working out their salvation, uh, becoming a tireless advocate for the injustice. Um, But I also, to me, it seems like there's there's never a resolution of that either. Correct. You're
3: always going to be on the wrong side of that racial divide. Um, And so you can never work it to being... To put it into salvific
1: terms, but right. um, like no restitution is enough to make it right. Yeah.
0: Um, I, mean, I don't even know what you could call it. <laughs> yeah, it, it really kind of puts you into a, um, an evermore and always seeking good by penance, right? Um, so. Next, we deny that people are presumed to be guilty or innocent of the sin of racism by virtue of their skin color, ethnicity, or group membership. We affirm that racism is a sin. It is wrong, unloving, and unacceptable in society and within the church. Mistreating people in thought, word, or deed because of their skin color or ethnicity is an egregious sin. But it is also a sin to falsely accuse someone of a sin they have not committed. Or assume they've committed a sin when they, in fact, haven't. Okay? Uh, and and that is what CRT does um, to those who are in a majority culture. And the only way to atone for any and all sins, including the sin of racism, is by faith in the atoning work of Christ. And to your point, Nikki, we can never do enough social justice to atone for our guilt. Plus, our greatest need isn't forgiveness before our fellow man, but before God Almighty. Pause there for any questions or on that. Yep, yeah, Steve?
4: We covered the definition of racism uh, in the lens of critical race theory. It's prejudice plus power, right? I mm-hmm. keep on getting it wrong, but it's privilege plus power Yeah, it. Yes, it's those two things. Oh, uh, privilege plus power, but we are talking about prejudice. Yeah. What is it? Help me out here. What do they have to say about prejudice? Because when I think of the word racism... In my lexicon, I think I'm actually thinking of what they would talk about as prejudice, not necessarily what they would talk about as racism.
0: D'Angelo defines prejudice as this prejudgment about another person based on the social groups to which that person belongs. I think
4: most of the time I probably would have said that's synonymous with racism. But they're saying that's not racism because it lacks the power. Uh, That's a piece of it. There just needs to be another piece of it.
0: Okay. So she says, you know, a minority person could be prejudiced, but they won't be racist because they don't have both parts of the definition so my, prejudice plus power and I'm, I'm saying that definition has to be we have not accepted that definition
4: so my question then becomes uh, and I'm sorry that this is going back just a smidge what do they have to say about prejudice? is prejudice good and acceptable? is prejudice when power is not present uh, uh, a good attribute or is that a bad attribute?
0: Well, it's, it's interesting, and this is where I... So I find it troubling as a, as a red-white fragility. So D'Angelo says, listen, we white people... She's a white person. She says, we white people need to get over this, this false idea that we have. Um, that she says, we think we can't be a good person if we're racist. She's like, you can be a good person and a racist. And, and so, but we're, what we're saying as Christians is, that doesn't work for us. Because we understand racism is a sin. So if we're guilty of a sin... We need to repent of a sin. And so CRT is boxing us in uh, and, and saying you are this and I think what we have to say is no, the Bible just says we're not. Uh, I mean, we may be and if we, if, we are, if we are harboring racist thoughts, actions, then we need to repent of those things. But, uh, but we cannot be presumed to be guilty by, by membership in, by, by virtue of our membership, by virtue of our immutable characteristic that my skin color happens to be not dark. Okay, let's keep going. Um. Yes. You
2: define racism as to how Angela defined it. How would you define it? Oh, I, well, I just did. So I'll go back. I, I it.
0: okay. It's it's uh it's we deny CRT's definition of racism. It's C. Ethnic pride, ethnic enmity, ethnic envy. Okay. Um. Uh. So. We deny that, let's see here. Oh, we deny the assumption of corporate guilt as put forth by CRT. Corporate guilt teaches that someone is guilty of a certain sin like racism not because they have personally been racist towards someone, but because they are a member of a specific corporate group. Ezekiel 18:20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Any questions there? Yes, Holly? This is a uniquely American thing because it was birthed uniquely in America because it was birthed after the civil rights movement was kind of beginning to stall out. So it's really just a uniquely American thing. I'm sure, as with everything, we export all of our good and our bad. So I'm sure it's having some impact, but I don't know. Um, This next one is going to be... This would be extremely offensive just in in the modern culture, but I actually think this needs to be said. H... Um, We deny that a person is guilty of racism, even implicit racism, simply due to being a part of the majority culture, okay? Here's what I would say. In God's providence, there are certain blessings. CRT would call them privilege. In God's providence, there are certain blessings associated with being born into a two-parent majority culture household in middle-class America, we have to say that, brothers and sisters. There are certain advantages. I have an advantage being born to a mom and a dad who are both college educated in Weatherford, Texas. I have advantages, yes. However, that is not something that anyone should feel guilty about. And I know that's really touching, but I think theologically it has to be said. It, it, and why, why is it not something you feel guilty about? Because it is God's gracious, providential gift. God in his providence and in his grace has blessed me with the reality that I I was born into a, a spot where I do have certain privileges. That's true. It's called his providential blessing. Am I to call what God calls good? Am I to call that evil? No. That's not right. And that's not good. Now, it is a further question of how do we view and hold our blessings. We should want to share and desire for others to enjoy them as well. Just think about Abraham, blessed to be a blessing. So it's not like we want to be like, yeah, we have, yeah, yeah, man, we've got, you know, we've got all this and we don't want you to have any of it. No, it's like, I, I, I want I want the playing field to be as level as it can be for you. I do. I want you to have a shot. I want you to have everything. Equal opportunity as I did. I want those things for you. That should be our posture, right? But it's not something that we that that we are guilty of, or should be guilty about. It's actually the blessing of God. Now, again, that's ex- that would be extremely uh, offensive, but it's true. Yes, Jeff. Would
2: somebody who advocates,
0: that advocates for CRT say that blessings are a zero sum game? Yes, it would, which I think is a is a fallacy as well. Yes. What
4: did you What did you ask? Sorry. I asked if advocates of CRT would suggest that blessings are a zero-sum game, so the only way somebody else can be blessed is
0: if my blessings are taken away. Um, we. We deny the necessary and absolute division and disunity that exists between people who are in different classes. So I think this is important as well. CRT undercuts the unity of the human race as image bearers of God. The reality is we are more fundamentally alike than we are different. And CRT really undercuts that. And I think that's a shame. So as Christians, we are to see and treat all people, first and foremost, as image bearers of God. Uh, further, we should listen to the lived experiences of people, but their personal lived experience should not become the standard by which an entire group or another group is evaluated and generalized. So we should listen and hear the cries of those who have been afflicted. I think about uh, Exodus 3, 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. Or I think about Exodus 22. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and he hears. Cry, and if he if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. So, I, and I, I think about Shylin's article on TGC. So I think about after the George Floyd uh, situation took place, Shylin, who is a, a rapper, uh, a Christian rapper, who I really appreciate, and his lyrics are just excellent, he wrote a, he wrote a blog post on TGC, and he, he essentially just kind of opened up his world for me a little bit, uh, and he said, listen, if I have a, and he's black, he said, if I have a friend who tells me that he left something on the porch, uh, and that I can just pick it up, he's like, I don't exactly, I, I hesitate to just run over to the porch and pick it up. I'm afraid I'm going to, I'm afraid it might be seen as stealing and I'm going to get in and I'm, and I'm going to get busted by the cops. I'm nervous about that. That's, that's a lived experience. And that should, and that, you know, that hit me. I was like, man, that's sad. Like that's, like, that's not cool, man. So, so it's not that we, sh- it's not that we should disregard experiences that our black brothers and sisters or other minorities experience. And we should write them off and say, yeah, that's not real. That doesn't happen to you. We don't want to do that. We, we want to sympathize, we want to weep with those who weep, but we can't totalitize that and say that that is necessarily the experience of everybody in this class. Does that make sense? We don't want to do that either, and here's why. Such things can create a culture of victimhood, okay? If we totalitized lived experience, then that can create a culture of victimhood, which is not good for anybody. Number two, lived experience can get the facts wrong. Okay? So lived experience is lived experience, but it can get the facts wrong. So that's important. And then I appreciate this from uh, from William's book, which I'm going to recommend this to you, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth. He says this, To love people well, especially those who bear the wounds of racism, sexism, or any other sinful ism, we must be careful not to inadvertently pour salt into their wounds with an ideology that generalizes their trauma. I thought that was very insightful. Uh, so Thaddeus is a black brother. And then, I think this is pretty important too. What am I about to say here? Everybody still awake? All right. Further, the lived experience of suffering or oppression any one of us experience as Christians should never become what defines us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans 8, 37. So I think as we think about Paul in prison, did Paul in prison really see himself as a victim and as oppressed by the Roman government? He did not. He did not. Uh, He saw himself as a soldier of the cross. Um, And so, and he, and and, and that's how he he would have all of us to see ourselves even in the midst of our very real and significant suffering and oppression should we experience that. He would not have us to define ourselves by that, but he would have us to define ourselves uh, in Christ. Uh, we, further, we also deny that only systems are to blame for the evil in this world. Instead, we affirm that systems and individuals are capable of injustice, and it's up to systems to modify and I'm sorry, and it's up to individuals to modify and, if necessary, abolish any unjust system. So, let's not forget, unjust systems are perpetuated by groups of unjust individuals. Individuals are the architects of systems. Uh, Oh, did I just lose my spot? Okay. 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 The ideology of activism can lead to the unhealthy extreme that the denunciation and destruction of established institutions is the solution to present injustices and inequities, which is where CRT has a tendency to go. Uh, They have said themselves, right, that incremental progress is is not sufficient, significant action is needed, they question the the liberal order itself, and they advocate for radical action. So they have a tendency to just... Kind of to to speak colloquially, colloquially, you know, burn the burn the thing down, right? That's kind of that's kind of where it goes sometimes. Um, that's that's dangerous and that's not good. We affirm that certain institutions may be corrupt and may need to be abolished: slavery, the abortion industry. While other institutions may be salvageable and greatly aided by reforms, equal opportunity for employment. Okay. So, we just want to beware of of, of, the, of the ideology of activism that can lead to unhealthy extremes, which denounce any and all institutions. Okay. Um, let me pause there. For opportunity for question questions. Yes, Amy. Is it really that general? You know, that's just abolish everything, but no proposed solution. Oh, that's that's probably too general. Yeah, that's probably too general of a statement. But I do think you see the tendency. And I think you see the tendency in its historical roots. Okay, so it was rooted in. It flows from Marxism several layers back, which is an ideology which leads to revolt and revolution. Okay, you can see those tendencies in critical race theory, and based upon their own words, and then based upon just the the, the actions of all the violence and unrest. Th- those are really and th- those are really quite destructive things that are going on there yeah steve
4: as christians as we as we look at systems that that may or may not be rooted in in the legal framework or the framework of our country as it is how do we as christians uh address those systems biblically speaking uh, I assume, stepping, stepping uh, coming shy of violent actions and so on and so forth. So it, it would seem like critical race theory would advocate like an all-in sort of approach to the abolition of unjust systems. Certainly we as Christians can identify certain, certain things. You mentioned things like uh, the abortion industry and so on and so forth. We can clearly see that there are systems that are unjust. Uh, what does the Bible have to say, generally speaking, about how, how a Christian lives in that system and attempts to bring about its change?
0: Well, I, honestly, I think as you look at the New Testament, I think what you see is that the Bible assumes that Christians are going to be making a radical difference in the world... As they display the gospel living life with other Christians. In the context of local churches, sharing the gospel, building up one another in their most holy faith, and evangelizing the world, and then living their Christian life in whatever sphere God calls them to, whether government, whether the private sector, whatever it may be, living. In that world, as a Christian, living out their Christian convictions. So, when you look at the New Testament, and when you look how the, at how the apostles interacted, and when you look at uh, the mission of the church, it is not focused on the inequities of Rome, it is focused on gospel proclamation and a just society within the church. The church is to be the just society wherein widows and orphans, it it doesn't happen. Wherein Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, and any other person gets together and loves one another based upon the unity of the gospel alone. And then they go out ministering the gospel and living the Christian life uh, to the best of their ability. Does that make sense? So I recognize that's probably not the answer that you're looking for, but I think that's the overall answer that the Bible gives. So I think it's wonderful that William Wilberforce, as a Christian, in, his, uh, in living out his Christian faith, was like, man, I'm going to do the best I can to abolish the slave trade. I think that's fantastic. I think that's wonderful. Um, he was living out his Christian faith, and in the calling that God had given to him as a politician, he used that for good. So I think that's good. I think he should do that. Um most of us in this room are not called into the world of politics. So. Nikki? No, but we're not necessarily in the world of politics, but we are in our school or in our workplace or in in a, a homeschool system or whatever, and how to live there, because I spend a lot of time there with people in theory that I get a chance to influence, that I get a chance to speak truth to, but I'm struggling right now with how to bring together the awesome things that you said, whether it's in K or in the in the biblical um, racism definition, but to bring them into action in the places that aren't here in this building, the, the other spheres of, of life, how to live this well. And I'm just – I'm struggling
3: with
1: that gap. I'm seeing what not to do, and this is yes. really helpful to not, what not to do. But the what to do. Yeah. That's a really – Yeah, well, so I think,
0: I mean, honestly, it may sound like super unbelievably simple and maybe oversimplified, but I think you should live the Christian life in your workplace. I think you should love people well, treat people fairly, treat people kindly, speak about why and how you do those things. As you have opportunity to good to do good to those people, I think that you should do good to those people. Are those people is somebody in the hospital? go visit them right so if you have an opportunity to create a you know a work group that is going to do good things for your corporation, do it uh, so I think think it's I think it 's uh, just robustly living out the Christian life in the context of you know he 's called you there at Marvell, so I think you need to be in an honest and energetic uh, and wonderful employee, and honest and loving and kind and hardworking and generous and gracious and uh, all of those things. And I think that's going to make an unbelievable difference. Yes?
3: Well, I was just thinking about that, what, what you said, Nikki, and I think another helpful thing to think with that is fear of man. And so mm. with battling CRT we should not allow the fear of man to have them convict us as Christians because that's wrong. Yeah. Let,
0: me, let me go just for time. I'm just going to keep moving here for time. Um, it is unwise and inaccurate to imply or to say that disparities are necessarily or always the result of discrimination. Purposeful discrimination may be to blame, but we must do the hard work of learning the reasons why certain disparities exist. Categorical generalizations won't suffice to explain the complexities of our world. For thoughtful reflection concerning this point, uh, see uh, either of these two books, and I give you the specific references there uh, on how inequities and disparities d- shouldn't necessarily equate to uh, racism. Okay. Uh, CRT overstates the... And, and remember, by the way, remember my goals tonight, here, guys. So, some of you are like, "Hey, what's what's uh, positively? What should I do? What 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 are my goals? My goals are to help you understand CRT and to help you think Christianly about CRT. So, I simply realize I can't cover every. Like, I mean, we'll be done at midnight, you know, and then we'll get back up in the morning, right? So, my goals are rather modest. Okay. Um, so, CRT overstates the systemic nature of racism and understates personal agency in the problem and the solution. It is a worldview that leaves people hopelessly oppressed, guilty, and unable to redeem themselves. But the gospel offers good news that we can be freed from the bondage of any and all sins. Christ offers offers us so much more. It is true that racism was much more pervasive, systemic, and tolerated in our nation in prior years. But Our nation has made great progress in abolishing laws and passing laws that grant equal rights and opportunities to all citizens regardless of their race. Our nation has also made progress in discouraging racism and prejudice in the workplace, school, church, and government. We deny that racism has simply evolved and is just as pervasive as in the mid-19th century and during the Jim Crow era of the early 20th century. That is a claim that CRT is making, that it's just as pervasive. In fact, it's just morphed and evolved Um, and and I think we should deny that. We do affirm that individuals are capable of, complicit in, and guilty of racial discrimination and prejudices against their fellow man. As Christians, we denounce such behavior and state emphatically that such behavior is sinful, unchristian, antithetical to the gospel, unloving toward others, and displeasing to the Lord. Instead, we should do good to all, regardless of their race, gender, family, religion, or political leaning. We also deny that heteronormative or patriarchal values are oppressive. We affirm God's design of the human family as the most fun foundational unit of society that is best equipped to raise children into mature adults for the glory of God. Human meaning and self-worth is not defined by self but by God. Disagreements about human purpose and human justice does not make, does not make dissenters into oppressors. We, need, we deny the need for people to prove their non-guilt. Instead, their accusers must prove their guilt, okay? It, it's, it's not okay to presume someone's guilty. Like, that doesn't even work in our legal system. Um, and nor, does it, nor should it work in the biblical realm. Um, so we deny the need for people to prove their non-guilt. Instead, their accusers must prove their guilt. So just as an example, I, I don't have to preach an anti-racist sermon or attend a BLM protest to prove that I'm not a racist preacher, Okay? So we also deny the need to substitute gospel faithfulness with reactionary activism and we also deny the need to give in to pressure to respond to every national grievance in a certain way that scripture does not require. So look, you, you want me to be your pastor. You don't want me to be the guy who's, who's commenting on every single cultural political thing. Uh, not only is that not what you want, that's not faithfulness for me. Faithfulness for me is to continue to build you up in your most holy faith, help you to understand the Christian worldview, and then help to help to mature you and grow you so that you can think Christianly and live Christianly. It's not to speak to every single issue. That's, a, that's frankly a bad call when pastors do that, if, if they do it all the time. Okay? There are certain things that need to be spoken of that make sense to be spoken of, but not everything needs to be spoken of every time. So, our opposition to sin is substantiated by the faithful gospel proclamation, a life marked by obedience to God's word and confession of sin when we transgress God's law. We also deny that silence always implies complicity. Sometimes it is wise and loving to speak on an issue, sometimes it is not. There are some really complicated issues that go along with this. So sometimes it's wise to speak to an issue, sometimes it's just not. Because I recognize I don't have the full picture here. So I'm just not going to say anything. Uh, (laughs) And and I actually think you would be well served if you said less on it too, especially on social media, uh, okay? Because you don't have the full picture. Um, so there you go. That's, that's just free for you. So what are resources? Uh, number one, uh, on critical race theory, a couple of resources. Social justice, critical theory, and Christianity, are they compatible? This was a fire hose, and I know it was. You can give one hour of your time to an excellent YouTube video presentation by Neil Shenvey. Uh, entitled, Social Justice, Critical Theory, and Christianity. Are they compatible? You can speed it up to 1.25 or 1.5 if you're a fast listener, and you can get through it even faster. But it would be an hour of your time well spent. He he goes up. I've kind of been at a granular level, and I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose because I see on a lot of social media a lot of talk like, well, that's not really critical race theory. You've not, you haven't understood it. Well, that's not this. Well, that's not this. And so I just said, forget it. I'm going to get really granular with you, and I'm going to... And I, and I want you to know what it is based upon sources, okay? He, he goes up a level, and he does a lot more synthesis, which is really helpful. So it's an excellent, excellent YouTube presentation. Uh, you could also go to his website. There's lots of good resources there to reflect on. I find him to be theologically astute uh, in how he handles things. Uh, you could also read, if you were to read a book, here's what I would suggest. Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice... Uh, I think this is a real no-nonsense approach to the topic that is good. Um, This book right here, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising the Truth, is also an excellent, excellent book. And then two books that are not specifically about... Critical race theory, but are good. Number one, the coddling of the American mind by Greg Lukanoff and Jonathan Haidt. It's not necessarily about social justice, but it is very helpful to understand cultural trends at large. They talk about how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. They talk about untruths, the untruth of fragility, what doesn't kill you, make you weaker. They says that's not true. The untruth of emotional reasoning, always trust your feelings. The Untruth of Us Versus Them. Life is a battle between good people and evil people. It talks about how these ideas are having their way in our culture and they're having a negative effect on us. So that's good for you. And then a book by Ben Sasse, uh, Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska. Um, so uh, it, this is not about social justice either, but it is an excellent and hopeful book about getting along with those with whom we disagree on important matters. I actually, if I could have every single American read this... I would have him read this. When I read Ben Sasse's work, I walk away encouraged and more hopeful. He is a great guy. Vote for him for president. Um, like, yeah, I'm not supposed to do that. It's a joke, you know, okay. Uh, he's really, really, really good. Uh, I like him a lot. Um, we are totally out of time, but I'll give, I'll give like five minutes for questions before we, dis- before we dismiss. I saw Corey's hand first.
3: Uh, well, first of all, thank you uh, for this. Uh, very informative, and the outline is very helpful. Um, But, yeah, as I was thinking about CRT now, uh, in light of what what you've said, and um, I at least feel encouraged that given all that, that you've said, it feels as though they would be the biggest proponents of Jesus Christ, and all that you've done just in the light of those who are marginalized, those who are minorities, and I mean, the Sermon on the Mount seems made up of Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being made up of essentially everyone that would be considered total outcasts Um, so it just seems exciting or encouraging to me to be able to assuming I have an attentive uh, listener, um, someone who's not going to immediately cast me as a racist um, that they would very much actually want to hear about my experience with Christ very much cared about uh, the types of things that we just talked about, so um, yeah, I just thought it was yeah,
0: <laughs> Josh, um, I was
2: kind of. This kind of goes back. I wasn't sure, but so a lot of this came from the social justice movement trying to um, with the the with um, slavery in the eighteenth century and stuff. But um, I'm wondering, did the did the sources talk at all? What happens when the tables are finally leveled and maybe turned? Is there a point at which the oppressed now become the oppressors. Do they speak at all for that? Yeah, that's a really great, great question. And there's
0: no real clear vision for the future that's put forth in, in this or other readings that I've done. Because that's a question that I've been asking myself: like, where does this go? What's What's the end result? How How are things made right in your schema? And there's no real answer for that. Um, there's There's no real. They don't really have a vision for that.
1: Matt? Do you have any examples? I know that, like, the big pop-up,
3: or, you know,
4: everyone's talking about, like, it kind of getting pushed into the schools on very granular, nuanced levels that kids almost don't even realize that they're being taught at. Can you offer some examples for, some, for parents that have young kids that might, or just in general, kids that are kind of coming up through the school system? Like, what do you know of any examples of, like, ways that they're teaching this to our, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth graders that our kids might not even the red
0: flag might not even go off to them. Sure. So, so what, what I, I would say you. is, um, uh, and this is where there's like confusion, because there's like, you're teaching CRT in the schools, and the people are like, CRT is a legal theory. We're not teaching CRT in the schools, it's for colleges, which is true. It is a legal theory, but it is also true that it, is, it has so influenced things, its popular expression and its outworkings, that I would say that it is very likely that the implications of it are, are flowing in and through, um, I mean, it's it's actually overt at Essex High School. Uh, it's it's overt at, at Georgia. I couldn't speak specifically to say, well, here's specific examples, but you should just know and be aware that that it's it's influencing things. You should just be aware of that. I don't have a specific example for you, Missy er, Missy. I saw Missy. I so will go to Missy first.
2: Christianity as a white man's religion and an oppressive religion. Like, I was thinking about it when you gave the example of how you grew up to, to working class white people and there was a certain amount of privilege in that, and then you gave God the glory through its providence. And then I could see them being like, aha, right there. That's the kind of God that you serve, who only gives providence. And, you know, it's typical of the devil to use a little bit of truth and sort of, you know, dilute it, not dilute it, but twist it. You know, so we know that God Providence doesn't
0: care what color your skin is and where you were born. Um, but I just kind of was, I kind of got like, oh man, oh man, you know. Um, also, I want to just say as your pastor, how would I want you to carry this and hold this and think about this? I would prefer for you and I would encourage you not to become a rage monster on social media and to go and look for uh, somebody who posts something about something and then you post about the evils of CRT. That is not a medium wherein there's going to be any healthy dialogue that takes place. If you actually have a relationship with someone and and they're posting something that you think, man, I actually love that guy and I want to share with him my concerns... I actually want to share with him this talk that my pastor gave. Why don't you private message him and talk and then set up a time to talk and get lunch? I would just encourage you. So I think the world is full of rage monsters, and I think the world is full of like I'm on this side and I'm on this side. So I'm just just want to encourage you. I would I would ask you not to to, to posture yourself uh, like that. I am very concerned about this, clearly. That's why I spent quite a bit of time preparing to hopefully instruct you, because I think my concern about this, by the way, is not primarily political, national, patriotic, none of that. My concern is the church, because this brings division and disunity, because it sets people at odds with one another. That's what it does. It sets people at odds with one another, and it says you are divided, whether you know it or not. Uh, You're kind of on different sides of the fence. And Ephesians chapter 2 says no. If we're in Christ, no. Not true. So my concern is theological. My concern is not sociological, political, or patriotic; it's theological. Although it does have implications there, those things do concern me. But my love is for the Church of Jesus Christ, and I hope yours is too. So please hold these things with a, with a, I would just say a reasonable hand, brothers and sisters, and don't go clubbing people, please. Um, I just think that would. I just ask you that. That's my. That's what I'd ask you to do pastorally. I'm going to close this down. I'll be up here if you want to ask questions. Uh, Thank you for coming. I hope you've been helped. Uh, And if you have questions, I'd like you to talk to me and and ask me uh, and help me to continue to refine my thinking. This is a big topic. Uh, There are lots of things that could be said. Um, So I don't claim to have the corner on the market. I'm hoping to have characterized it fairly and then analyzed it Christianly for you. So that's my hope. Uh, So let me... Close us in prayer. Lord, thank you for these brothers and sisters. Thank you for your word. Help us to understand and subject all things to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.